Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Falls Fugitive. I'm Dave, president of the Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers Board. Today, we will be going back 22 years to talk about a murder cold case that happened here in Wichita Falls. I will sum up what we know and bring back Detective John Laughlin with the WFPD cold case unit. For the integrity of the case, I will be asking questions that will in no way jeopardize the ongoing investigation. Okay, let's get started. Crime Stoppers of Wichita Falls, in association with Design Works Group, presents Falls Fugitive. Today I'm joined in the studio by Kathy McDaniel Mills. Tell me a little bit about your father. My father was a man of his word and um, just a good all-around, down-to-earth, hometown guy. Well-liked by the community and had lots of friends and family that he loved. Yeah, you're describing him very, very well because that's exactly how I remember him. I remember going over... um, to their house um, after he had had uh, some medical procedures done and he and I would just sit and talk. He was a really easygoing, really easy man to talk to. Yes. Now, uh, if you can, uh, think back and um, tell me about that day. Mm. That day... He had, that was his first day to drive after having um, triple bypass, I guess. And my mother chose to stay home and not go to therapy with him that particular day because he wanted to drive for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so he was about 30 days out of surgery. He made it to physical therapy, but then he never came home. And my mother started calling around looking for him. And back then, we didn't really have cell phones and like we do today. So she called me at my job, thinking maybe he had run by to take me to lunch. Um, because he was diabetic, he usually ate around 11 and should have been home by then. Right. And um, so she calls me, and I'm like, no, haven't seen him, Mom. You know, I don't know. Well, 11 o'clock turns into more and more, and it just as the day went on, no one had heard from him. So we start playing. We're worried about him thinking he's had a heart attack since he had just finished the surgery 30 days ago and thinking he's somewhere in a ditch, you know. And um, we end up placing some calls and kind of going to panic mode at this point because he hasn't been heard from and that's just not like him. He should have been home. Mm-hmm. And come to find out some of his buddies um, that were old car dealers had um we started touching base with them you know have you seen him have you heard from him? well come to find out they had he had been by there about 10 10 30 a.m something like that my times may be off because it's been so long but right. um they had seen him he had made it to physical therapy we knew that we had verified that and then we verified he stopped by this car dealership and they happened to mention hey he mentioned that he had a some kind of gun at the gun shop that the trigger was being worked on, mm-hmm. having something done. So that was the next place that 
This was um, Leon Bragg's Brecht, gun shop on Galveston. Brecht, which I, I didn't even know about. You know, that's a man thing. <laughs> so my brother knew where it was, and um, we get notification that, yes, his truck is there in the parking lot. And it's been there for a long time. So that was our first, hey, here's his truck. Where is he? So um, from that point on, it just started. We went, and my brother couldn't get the door open. No one would answer. We didn't have a way. And he looked through the window and found both men laying in the floor at that point. And so from then on, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I know this is um, going to be kind of rough to answer. Um, can you um, explain how is this this tragedy that's happened in y'all's lives how has it affected your life your mother's life uh, everyone involved the grandkids oh <laughs> an open wound it's the best way I can tell you whoever did it is still out there they ruined my, my, my mother's, myself, my brother. Um, never got to know his grandkids. His friends ache still, the ones that are still alive. I mean, they miss him dearly. It's just something that's left open. Even though you wish you knew what happened, um, we may never know. And what if this person's still out there and, and is continually doing it and hurting other people? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm sorry to bring so much pain to you. Um, my hopes uh, with this podcast, because uh, chances are that uh, a person or persons, they may have moved on. Mm-hmm. Um my hopes with this podcast is that we reach somebody somewhere in another state, another city that uh, has heard something about this and then call in. Um, now, to wrap it up, um, is there something that you would like to say to our audience? I think um, the main thing is to keep Keep both Mr. Bragg and and my father, Hugh McDaniel, keep this case alive. Um, it's 22 years cold. The word still needs to be out. Um, their friends are dying off. I mean, they're in their 80s now, a lot of them, you know, late 70s and 80s. And you want to just keep, keep this case going and keep it out there. Somebody's out there that knows something. I mean, you can't come in and and bludgeon two people and not leave something of evidence. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something. And I know DNA has come so far in the years. I just want it looked at and not forgotten about. Right. I mean, that's all I've asked for all these years. I keep it alive every year on his anniversary. I, we all do you know, we, we want it out there. We want it on the news. We want it on, on podcasts. 
it, it needs solved. I mean, we're a, we're a large town, but we're a small town, and everybody knew everybody, and somebody's got to know something. They're just scared. Right. You know, or they don't want to go against someone else, you know. But, yeah. and, and I think you hit on a very good topic there. Um, people are scared because uh, they don't really understand how the system works. <laughs> Uh, but I want to assure everybody out there today, um, Crime Stoppers is 100% anonymous. So if you call in, you never have to give your name, um, and you can earn an award. So if you know something about this case, um, for the family's sake, uh, call in, give a tip. I am joined in the studio by Angela Bragg Cooley, uh, the daughter of of Leon Bragg. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. All right. Um, do me a favor and um, tell us tell us a little bit about your father. <laughs> well, he was a man who was always happy. And when he smiled, it wasn't just with his, his mouth. His eyes twinkled <laughs> as well. Right. Especially when he was up to meanness and mm-hmm. being ornery. You, that, that was very evident when he smiled. So just a very kind man he was always wanting to help someone else he just would give you the shirt off his back you know you you hear the turn the other cheek well I don't know how many cheeks my daddy had because he was constantly turning them for whoever and just very generous very kind very non-judgmental and just never met a stranger just always friendly would always be there for whoever needed and whatever they needed so and if I understand, uh, him and Hugh um, met quite often in the mornings, drink coffee, and they did uh, shoot the bull, throw out stories, whether they were true stories or not. They <laughs> they talked about them. That's right. Yeah, um, his his gun shop had become kind of the the coffee shop, if you will. Oh, you know, okay. a lot of people would just come by and they would hang out. Whether they were even there for business with his with his shop you know it was just a time to come by and visit with him and check in and see what was going on and i'm sure there were plenty of fishing stories and hunting stories that (laughs) i'm sure that flew but yeah no it was just that's that's the atmosphere he wanted Mm -hmm. you know anyone and everyone is welcome and just come on in and have a seat and let's talk and he would stop whatever he was doing to give his full attention and just to be 100% present. Right. He always was through our whole lives with, as kids. He was always present. That's good. Mm-hmm. Sounds like an amazing man. He was. Okay. Um, if you could, um, can you tell me a little bit about that day? Oddly enough, it was a wonderful, relaxed day. You know, and we look back even with my mom, it was just a strange day it, to know that supposedly this had happened early in the morning, but all day we didn't know until like five o'clock or so, or that's when I knew. But, you know, we had our day. I was actually home. I was off that day. I was home with my kids and we were playing and the kids, they were very young, playing in the backyard cooking lunch, cooking dinner. My mom had gone to Burke Burnett to see her dad and spent the day there because she was off that day as well. And it was just a very calm and serene day until you get that phone call Mm -hmm. that 
blew us out of the water, you know, and, and the world stopped for us at that time. But it was just, he had gone to work like normal and, you know, we knew nothing the entire day. That That's the bizarre thing because, you know, you hear stories all the time how you get this feeling, you have a sixth sense that something is wrong somewhere or something has happened to a loved one. And so as a mother, I get those feelings and I check in with my kids and, and I can hear them rolling their eyes over the phone, you know, when you call to check in on them. But that didn't happen that day. It was just, and, and looking back, it's just so strange to know that had happened and we knew nothing. You know, I, I've, I'm, I know... I have faith enough and enough to know that there was a reason for that. God had a plan for that too. You know, we can't even begin to speculate, but for whatever reason, it was meant to be. I don't know. It's just always been a, a real curious happening for us. But just to know, He went to work that day and everything was great, and that was the last time. So, but also in hindsight. Um, he had spent some time, you know, with his mom, and there were a lot of, I don't know, just loose ends that were t- tied up and wrapped up before it happened. So, I, you know, we, we take comfort in that. I know it's a bizarre thing to take comfort in, but with the circumstances and what happened and, and not knowing when we, we have those few moments of comfort, we grab on and we hold right. on to them tight. So. Right. Because there's so much else that's un- unanswered, and you know, we wish we knew, but I—it's—it's it's just, I don't know. It, it's just a strange thing. Uh, uh, now, can you tell me, um, with um, your father being gone, mm-hmm. uh, from that day to today, how has it affected? your life, um, your kids' lives? Oh, <laughs> I don't know that there's words, adequate enough words to, to say that. You know, we say, my mom passed in 2009. I'm sorry. We lost both of our parents that day because it was just, first of all, it was horrific. It's It's a shock to lose anyone suddenly anyway but then when you lose someone in the manner we lost daddy it affected her as well you know and and she did what she had to do as a wife and as a mother and a grandmother but it wore on her and and the weight was horrible and it sent her into a deep depression and which ultimately resulted in her having some massive strokes and she needed the closure she needed the answers and it weighed so heavily on her it changed her from that day Mm -hmm. you know and that that affects all of us that affected us me and my brother and our spouses and our kids because they went from having their grandparents to losing you know and they didn't truly understand they were too young to understand it was just they were gone but then to have to live through the added trauma of their grandmother being different too because she changed it Mm -hmm. it, you know it became all-consuming for a while until until it affected her physically and emotionally so you know it just it took its toll on the whole family, you know, and your focus goes from living your life and doing everyday normal things to 
not just trying to deal with the grief, but you deal with the circumstances. You deal with the police and the investigation and the news media. That was crazy. And to try to protect your family. And and it's it was just, it's a surreal feeling to, to live through that and to look back now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you remember, but yet you try to suppress some of that. So you try to push all that aside. So you remember the good things and the happy times and, and all of that. So it, it's... And to this day, and when the anniversary rolls around, you you start preparing yourself. I mean, we right. start preparing a week to two weeks out because we it's not just the memory and the anniversary for us, but we never know because it is unsolved and it is a cold case. We never know when the media is going to pop up with stuff. And we have tried to build a relationship. You know, the, the, the reporters, it's such a transient group or network I guess here market here with our reporters because they come and go quite frequently mm-hmm. and so whenever they do get wind of the cold case and they want to do a story on it and we're very appreciative because we we you know any time you can get it out there and you hope someone hears something and they learn something the police may hear, learn something but it's always a new oh here comes a new story and we build relationships with the current news media but then when a new one comes in we don't have that relationship and the old ones got to where they would reach out to us and and kind of alert us you know we're going to be running a story or whatever but when you don't know and it's not any fault on the reporters that come in they're just doing their job right and they don't know but they don't understand we're living our life we're doing the normal things and the tv's on and the news is on and bam, there's a story on the news. And you feel like you've been punched in the gut all of a sudden, you know, because it's just out of the blue. You're not prepared. So when you're prepared, when it gets close to the anniversary, we start preparing. So we're not so shocked whenever something comes up. But it's when the ones that are out of the blue that really, really take you down. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's always, it's always out there. It's, it never goes away. The closure is never there. You know, you get to the point where you can... I don't want to say you can accept because you never accept, but you learn to live with the fact you don't have the answers. Right. But it's just all of the extra things that that come along with that. And even today, you know, you hear things on the news and my heart goes out to those families. Yes, I feel bad that they've lost their loved one. And yes, I I cry for how that person left, you know, how they how they passed away. But then all I can think about is the rest of what they're dealing with right you know it's it's hard it's very hard. right well you know we all every day are guilty of um, taking a situation or a relationship or a loved one for granted yeah Um, you know we get up in the morning we go our separate ways um, go to work or go do whatever we're going to do for the day but we never stop and think what could happen mm-hmm. in that time frame where we don't see our loved one or our friend. Uh, so I'm sure that there is a there is something in you and your brother uh, that would want to say one last thing to him. Absolutely. Um, now the last thing I've got for you 
what um, is there something you would like to say to our listeners? Wow. Um, well, first and foremost, never, ever miss an opportunity to say you love them. Ever. I don't know, just to beg. I guess beg is a strong word, but that's what we do. That if they do know something, you know, to, to let the authorities know. But just live your life. Enjoy your life. Be present with your family. And... You know, and I'm guilty too. We, the technology of the world tends to disconnect us from our family and from our loved ones and, and from being present. So, you know, fight those, those urges and call your mama, call your daddy. Right. <laughs> tell, right. Them, tell them one last time. Right. Never right. miss an opportunity to say I'm sorry or anything else because you don't want regrets. I mean, we're blessed that we didn't have those regrets, but I know many people that have. So. Right. Well, Angela, I appreciate um, you coming in and talking with me about something I know is very painful. Crime Stoppers is 100% anonymous. So if you call in, you never have to give your name um, and you can earn an award. So if you know something about this case, um, for the family's sake, um, call in, give a tip. Um, I will say that uh, I've got Detective John Laughlin on here with me as well, and uh, he is working this case very heavily. Um, he will explain a little bit further uh, later on in the podcast on exactly what's going on, the things that he can release, because uh, there's some things that he can't release mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to jeopardize the case. I want to take a second and thank Angela and Kathy for coming in here today and talking with us on a subject of what had to be a very difficult day 22 years ago. I'm now joined on the telephone by Jim McDaniel, the son of uh, Hugh McDaniel. Jim, how are you doing today? Doing good. Good, I appreciate you being on here with us today. Hey, uh, real quick, um, if you could uh, tell uh, tell me a little bit about your father. Uh, best friend fella could have uh, do anything in the world for you uh, loyal to all his friends and just good guy all the way around I don't know anything bad about him uh, well having known him personally I don't, I don't know if there's anything bad about him that can be said no, I don't. I don't. Uh, till this day, I don't know anything. Uh, it's just a, a bad deal. Love, love to get the get it solved. Well, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Uh, that's the reason why I'm wanting to do this is uh, try to reach a um, a broader audience uh, that some other, some people out there that may not be living in this area. Uh, may know something about it. Uh, now, uh, can you tell me uh, or tell our audience how um, how that day um, has affected uh, affected your life? Oh, that 
that day just uh, put a hole in my life and everybody associated with me. I mean, that that a, a world changer from me to family to grandkids to friends. Uh, you know, made a new way of thinking. I just, you know, everything's day to day now. Right. You know. Uh, just total game changer. Right. Well, um, if you can also tell me um, uh, when Kathy um, was in here a little bit ago, um, we spoke a little bit about that day. Um, can you um, talk to us a little bit about um, that day? You bet. That that day was his. He had the open heart surgery on oh, five or six weeks prior to that, somewhere right in that neighborhood. First day, he'd been released to drive. He had to get out of the house, and uh, he made made a few rounds. Went and drank some coffee with some, some friends and. I was at work. I pretty much everybody was at work, but uh, anyway, uh, later in the day, it went around and you know he's getting checked on where he was. Nobody knew where he was, and, and it turns out ended up locating him at the gun shop. We're locating the truck at the gun shop, and uh, you know it just kind of spiraled out from there. Right. No, it, it, uh, it stopped by evidently to pick up a firearm he'd taken in to have work done prior to him having his surgery that he'd been called and told was ready and that's that's kind of where that all stemmed from uh, on, on being there right so, uh, so it wasn't unlike him to uh, just pop in up there then? No, sir. He would have, he, he knew Leon prior to that. He's needing something done, or but he was there to, to pick it up, you know. Best uh, of our knowledge. I mean, that's, he, he knew that it was ready and he was wanting to get it, needing stuff to tinker with while he'd sit around at the house because he wasn't released to work yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's uh, kind of the way it sounds like that went down and why he was there. Right. Okay. Well, if you could, um, one last thing. Um, I've asked uh, Kathy and I've also asked Angela this. Um, do you have uh, something you would like to say to our listeners? Yeah, any, anything, anything you've heard, anything somebody saw that they might not think means anything, you know, that day. I mean, it's been 22 years ago, but, uh, you know, it's a well-traveled street, and, you know, I know people look left and look right. They might have seen something they don't know about. Uh, just, just anything out there. Right. You know, uh, good guy, bad guy, whoever you are, you know, 
uh, it would have helped you either thing something <laughs> right you know uh, I, I just try to think back on it and, or you might have heard something somewhere else uh, you know I'd, I'd love to get more more involved in getting this thing wrapped up and solved I think I think it's out there to be solved exactly and, and like I was explaining to uh, Kathy and um, Angela, that's the reason why we're doing this podcast is um, we want to reach a broader audience. We want to try to get some more information out there. And I want to touch a little bit on what you said about um, uh, if you know something, um, whether you think you know something or not, uh, don't try to um, uh, figure it out on your own. If you feel like you know something, Call it in. Call it into our tip hotline right. and let the detectives uh, right. figure right. out where that information is going to lead. Right. Bring them the information you know. Uh, you know, you may not think it's much information that means nothing, but it might mean a lot. You, know, you just don't know. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, well, Jim, I appreciate you. Um, joining me today uh, uh, with this podcast like I said I'm hoping that we reach a, um, a much larger audience to try to get this uh, this case solved okay well I, I, I would anybody that can help I, I think it'd be great uh, I know there's a bunch of cases they work on but I'd like to get further along on this one right okay well i appreciate again i appreciate you being on here with me um and i know my listeners do too um uh that was uh jim mcdaniel joining me on the phone today um as well as having kathy mcdaniels mills and um angela bragg coley in here with me uh thank you all all once again uh jim thank you very much appreciate your effort babe you bet take care now let's get to the story. More than 8,000 days after a double homicide in Wichita Falls and still no answers. For many, this is just another day from the past. For others, that day has never come to an end. On February 2nd, 1998, Wells Fargo Bank Vice President Hugh McDaniel went to visit his friend Leon Bragg at the gun shop that Bragg owned on Galveston Street here in Wichita Falls. The pair would sit and visit, drink coffee, swap stories, as they had many, many times before. They were friends and community leaders, well-known and well-respected, but that day, February 2nd, would not be like any other day for these men or their families. Sometime during the morning, presumably after 8 a.m., an unknown person or persons entered the gun shop, forced Hugh and Leon to a back room. At that point, the two men were bludgeoned to death. Over the years, many stories and rumors about the crime have leaked out from various sources. Police 
have investigated many leads. No arrest has ever been made. No one, so far as the public is aware, has ever come forward with solid information. The families of these men continue to live with the questions, who did this and why? A very disturbing scene for Wichita Falls. It was just a very brutal incident to have happened, stated Police Chief Manuel Borrego. 22 years have passed. The Wichita Falls Police Department has had six different men serve as police chief since that day. The leadership torch has passed in the Wichita County District Attorney's Office from then PA Barry Maka to Maureen Shelton and now District Attorney John Gillespie. DA investigators, detectives, and officers from that day have no doubt retired or moved on. But the investigation has continued. Though the trail may have gone cold, the search for a killer or killers has not ceased. Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers has produced reenactment videos, featured this case multiple times to bring in more tips for the detectives to investigate but to no avail. The investigation is now left to current Wichita Falls Police Chief who said despite the length of time that has gone by, any unsolved case remains open. And we do that for multiple reasons. One, we need to find out who did it. And two, we need to give the family some closure as to what happened, Chief Borrego explained. I am now joined via telephone by Detective John Laughlin of the Wichita Falls Police Department Cold Case Unit. Detective Laughlin, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today about this case. You bet. Uh, thanks for having me on. You bet. Now, let's go ahead and get right into this. Um, can you let us know how many detectives have actually worked on this case from the beginning? So yeah, when the when the initial report came in in February of '98, you had uh, pretty much the unit, the Crimes Against Persons unit, would have been about five or six detectives that would respond to the scene and gather the initial information and start that investigation. And then one of those would have been the lead investigator. And, and since it's since 1998, there's been about four different lead investigators. But in total, when you look at uh, the working of the scene the follow-up investigations with assistance from other guys in the unit. You've had uh, 10, 12 uh, seasoned detectives that have put a lot of work into this. Uh, Detective Will Rutledge uh, worked on it for a couple of years as the lead investigator, and then uh, Detective Charlie Iper uh, put a lot of effort into it, and uh, Detective Tony Fox uh, put, worked on this case and was very, very familiar with uh, the ins and outs of it. Till I till I ended up uh, picking the case up uh, year last year middle of the year before that. Wow! Oh, I can't imagine just exactly how many uh, reports and whatnot you've got to go through. Yeah, there's uh, thousands of pages of reports that have been written on what what others have done, and that's kind of been um, I don't want to say a handicap, but it's been one of the unique challenges to the case has been since since it's so voluminous is to be able to go through what's been done already 
so I can find out what still needs to be done or if there's any answers that we can get from uh, something that was looked at earlier, but maybe look at it in a different way. Oh, wow. So I guess uh, you could say it's been um, pretty painstaking uh, to read all those reports, uh, look at all the evidence, categorize and put it all together uh, into one uh, one folder or one area so you know exactly where to go to find what you're looking for. Yeah, you're, you're talking filing cabinets full of uh, various documents, and, and we're still in the organizing process of that. It, it, it's very time-consuming, but it, but it needs to be because we want to make sure we get it right. We want to take our time and make sure we're not missing something, um, and that it, it, we've done everything that we can do. And uh, it does take time. Takes takes a lot of time. We we do have uh, resources by, besides myself. The district attorney's office has been very helpful uh, in with our investigation and lending aid. They've even given us a intern that they send over from their office every week that comes over here and spends several hours with me going over the case and and putting things together. So. Uh, I don't know if on some of these cases you could really ever get to a point where you're completely done because even while you're trying to organize what's been done, you're doing new things, which just adds on to uh, the the total size of the case. Oh, wow. I guess that kind of answers a lot of people's questions when they're actually wondering exactly what's being done. Well, when you talk about you've got file cabinet after file cabinet full of all these documents, it's not just as simple to just go in there and grab a sheet of paper. You have to go through and organize everything. Yeah, we want to keep it organized and and also review what's been done so we know what to do. And and some of those uh, documents are going to be transcribed statements of people that have already been interviewed. There's been over 100 interviews on this case that has been conducted. And listening to those uh, those recordings or reading those transcriptions, or there may be one piece of information in there that that could turn the case. Um, So you, you have to go through it. You have to spend the time going through it and familiarizing yourself with it. And uh, look at the time, the amount of time that's passed from the late 90s to, to now. Uh, technology has changed, and our department is, has changed with that. We've had multiple records management systems. Um, that means that in the beginning stages, some of these reports were handwritten. Um, and then now we have uh, digitized records management programs that you have the ability that you can go in and search for keywords, key phrases, key names, which you didn't have in, in the old documents. So trying to bring that stuff up and preserve it. Um, I want to try to find, put this case in a position where if it's not under my assignment, whenever we finally get that answer, but someone that comes after me, then uh, they'll have what they need, where it's at. They'll know where to find it. And they'll know how to uh, proceed. Uh, so some of these VHS tapes and micro cassette recordings. We need to get those digitized and, and so that we can preserve them for the future. Right. Okay. So let's say, you know, if you weren't um, by chance, if you're not able to, uh, in your time uh, doing this, able to solve this case. Um, so basically, doing all of this is going to help the next detective that's uh, coming in to find what he's needing because it's all going to be digitized. Yes, and trying to to put it in a way where it kind of summarizes and lets them know what's been done, what hasn't been done yet, 
and then uh, they can they can review it like I'm reviewing um, what's already been done. And and there is uh, a lot of progress that's been made in this case. We've uh, we've identified some leads. We've had some tips come in since I've been assigned that case. Assigned the case. I've I've identified some articles of evidence that uh, technology now, due to the advancements in forensic science, that we can we can test this that we couldn't test back then. Um, and that's another place where the DA's office has helped out when it comes to the expense. These things can get up into you know five figures uh, to pay a bill on having some some evidence analyzed at a lab. Wow! Um, so if it's not something that's budgeted within our department, the DA's office has agreed to help uh, take care of that, so we can so we can get the answers we're looking for. Wow, that's that's fantastic! Knowing that y'all are able to collaborate and work together on this, I mean that that's good news. That's good news. So, yeah. um, do you feel that um, uh, we're getting closer uh, every day or every week, finding out exactly what happened? Absolutely. Any and all work that we can do on this case, even if it even if it from the simple case review to the more complex uh, forensic analysis. Every bit of that helps us because sometimes knowing what it's not is just as helpful as knowing what it is. So we can eliminate certain people by one means or another um, and then leaving our suspect pool or leaving those involved persons of interest uh, in in the in the case versus hey we this is a way we they, we can eliminate them and it kind of narrows down our focus so i think that if that's constantly happening every week uh, like i say we're spending hours on this case every week going through each and everything that we have to uh look for what what still needs to be done or what can be done that couldn't be done then well wow. oh that's that's fantastic uh, now uh, you know, or actually, and I know that when you're dealing with cases like this, uh, that you really need to be careful on the type of information that uh, you're releasing to the public. And it's not because you don't want the public to know. It's just you're trying to preserve, um, preserve evidence so you can, like you said earlier, eliminate or uh, put somebody in, down as a suspect. Now, would you agree that... Um, that because there is such such very little information that you can release to not jeopardize the case that it actually is limiting the amount of tips or leads uh, that uh, you've been receiving it does have it does have an impact on that I don't know precisely if it's you know caused people to not send information in but the motivation behind that is to any information that we have about the case that we haven't released to the public would be give us the ability to vet information as it comes in when it comes to specifics at the crime scene that only a person that had been at the scene or involved in the incident would know. Uh, if we put everything out there on the table, then there's a likelihood that somebody could just parrot back uh, different fact data to lead us to believe if someone was involved when they actually weren't or they have information when they actually don't. And so that's the motivation behind, hey, some of what we're, we're going to release to the public about what happened and how it happened um, is for the integrity of the case, not because... Uh, the, you know, we're, we're, uh, 
we want the public's help. We absolutely do. This is why I'm on the phone with you. I, I'm asking anybody and everybody that may have heard anything, no matter how insignificant they think it is, if it's connected to this case, to give us a call and let us look into it and let us vet it. And by keeping some of that information about how things happened and when they happened and where they happened, it'll it'll give us the ability to to check that out and find out if there if it's that one clue that leads us in the right direction that gets us to the final answer, the destination that we're, that we're going after. Right. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, being on here with me today. Um, you know, we started, uh, Wichita Falls Crime Stopper board started this podcast, uh, roughly about, uh, four months ago in the hopes of reaching a broader audience. Uh, now, do you think that the person or persons involved, uh, may have uh, moved on and uh, it could also be the reason why it's it's taken as long as it has to solve this case and maybe th- this podcast that uh, is going out uh, next week uh, is going to be able to reach people in another area to maybe bring in tips from a different jurisdiction yes de- definitely um, it is it is a distinct likelihood that, uh, of course, in all these investigations, we keep we keep uh, all our options open. Um, we let the data drive the conclusion. We, we, we find that evidence and we go where it takes us rather than coming up with a theory or some idea and then get confirmation bias where you're only looking in one direction and you miss something or you're not looking in another direction and you never knew it was there. So... Um, having an offender or offenders that could have uh, been in this area for a short period of time or not from this area passing through that committed this crime and then moved on to another part of the country um, and is a, is a likelihood that's possible and so your platform reaches a much broader audience than our local community here in Texoma and uh, maybe there is someone out there in another state that heard someone talk about uh an incident they just didn't know where where the incident happened or how to put the dots back together to make it make sense and they hear this and they say now it all makes sense to me when they showed up what they said what they did what they've talked about i heard that and it does seem to ring true with the podcast that i listen to and that way they can call us and then like i said you never know when that one little piece of information is going to be the first domino to tip over and start that chain reaction of everything else falling into place. Absolutely right. So uh, all of our listeners out there, uh, please keep in mind, no matter how small the detail is, call into our hotline, uh, leave a tip and let our detectives get back with you. And um, don't think you know that, okay, this has nothing to do with it. Let the detective decide that. Uh, that that's what they do. They do a very good job of it. Uh, now, is there anything else uh, about this case um, you would like to share with uh, with our listeners? I just like to say that uh, I I appreciate you having me on, and uh, I appreciate the folks that are listening to this that are trying to do what they can to help, and anybody that does have information that can call in and get us some answers for for the McDaniel and Bragg family. Um, we we want to. Uh, have some resolution for the, for that family, for those families that are involved. And I uh, really appreciate you guys helping us out with this. Absolutely. And uh, we, um, we as citizens and uh, we as the um, Crime Stoppers Board really do appreciate uh, 
what you what y'all do uh, there in your unit. Now, this podcast is just another way of what uh, Wichita Falls uh, Crime Stoppers and the Wichita Falls Police Department is doing to bring more awareness to the crimes in our area, to bring in more tips, to also bring closure to those families. Detective Laughlin, I want to thank you so much for joining me again today, uh, bringing more of an insight to... um, uh, what's going on with this case. I know it's a very delicate case. I knew uh, Hugh McDaniel very, very well. Uh, and I know you're wanting to handle this uh, as best you can so we can bring the, like you said, the Bragg and the McDaniel family some closure. You bet. We're not going to give up. We won't stop till we get the answers. This podcast is another example of what Wichita Falls Crime Stoppers is doing to bring more tips which will ultimately bring the killers to justice. If you have any information on this case or any other felony crime, call Crime Stoppers 24-7 at 940-322-9888 or you can call Long Distance 1-800-322-9888. You can also download our P3 Tips app. You never have to give your name and if your information leads to an arrest and board approval, you could earn up to $10,000 on this case. Crime stoppers, citizens, police, and the media working together, we can make a difference. I would like to take this opportunity to thank my guests, Angela Bragg, Kathy McDaniel-Mills, and Jim McDaniel for joining me on this podcast. I would also like to thank Detective John Laughlin for taking time to do an interview with me via telephone. Please subscribe and share our podcast. Uh, Let everybody know about it, and we will have another one coming up real soon. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope everybody has a great day.